0: A very warm welcome back to the Killaloo Music Festival podcast. I am your host, my name is Carl Rower, and today we have more fantastic stuff for you guys to listen to and enjoy before the festival gets officially underway, which I, th- I believe is six weeks. It's only six more weeks to go until we can hear live music again, um, so not very much longer now. Um, but yeah, we're still in the build-up phase. Um, so today I have more interviews and I have more discussions about music um, and today we're focusing on one item in the program in particular and that is um, Diane Daly performing Eugene Izayi's Violin Sonata Number 2 um, with movement that is with, um, yeah, with a bit, she's not going to be standing still looking at a mu- music stand, there's going to be actual physical movement um, but I won't um, talk too much about that because who better to tell you about that more than Diane herself um, I managed to catch up with her um, during the week um, earlier this week um, I sat down had a little chat with her and that's exactly what you're going to hear right now so here it is And now I'm here with Diane Daly. Hi, Diane.
1: Hello, Carl.
0: It's, just, it's lovely to be able to do um, an interview face-to-face. I've been doing all these interviews over the phone and on Zoom, and to be able to see, actually see the person and be with them in the same room um, really makes a difference. Diane is a local musician for the Killiloo Festival, and you've been in all of them, haven't you? I
1: have. <laughs> yeah, amazing.
0: Um, so you're, this year, you're doing something a bit different. Um, you're doing something which on the program says um, Izai Sonata for Solo Violin with movement. So maybe you could like, tell us a little bit about that. That sounds really exciting.
1: OK. Um, so the piece I'm going to play is, yeah, it's by Isa, It's a second solo sonata and violin. And um, I'm exploring this idea of making the music more visible, which I believe was the, one of the themes for the festival this year, which is why I was asked to do this piece. And it's exploring this idea of creative embodied string performance, and it kind of works on two layers, I suppose, two levels in that I suppose for the audience, they have this experience of something that is not just aerial but also uh, it's visual and it's kinesthetic uh, because they're watching something and uh, hopefully interestingly something to watch as well as hearing it and as well as moving with me in their imaginations as well. And for me as a performer, it makes me perform in a much more creative, embodied way
0: as well. Okay, um, so like, this is quite funny. I learned an hour ago that you recorded it for the actual festival um, from your son, of all people. Um, <laughs> we were eating dinner and you just said, um, so you know that she was recording that today. And so you've you've performed it now. You've done the... No, no.
1: we've recorded one movement.
0: One movement, okay. My son okay.
1: got quite accurate. It probably <laughs> felt like the whole thing him. Yeah, but one of the movements is... Um, very melancholic and for that I wanted to record it somewhere where I really felt there was a a connection with nature and so we went to the top of the local, uh, what we call it a mountain, but I'm sure it's probably just a hill, (laughs) uh, Glen Gallia just behind here Mm -hmm. up in the Glen and it was, um, unfortunately it wasn't too bleak because actually it was a really nice sunny day (laughs) but it felt bleak in the sense that there was absolutely nobody around. Mm-hmm. And it was actually quite fun because uh, there's a gate which you can't drive up there anymore. You used to be able to drive up there. But we actually got the key.
0: Oh, wow. And it was okay. very,
1: very exciting. It's so a
0: special access. Yeah,
1: yeah. and uh, off we went up. And I don't think my car is going to be the same ever again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, well, there we go. Um, That's really exciting. Um, So that's yeah. only one movement. So are you doing the yeah. other three movements there as well, or is that going to no, be in different places? In the Okay, and they're going to be going to be spliced together. Is that yes. it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. interesting. Um, so you've got a PhD in this topic, do This movement the idea of movement through performance. Yes, yeah, the
1: creative embodied in yeah. performance. Yeah. And
0: that's called is that Dalcroze, am I right?
1: It comes from my background as a teacher in Dalcroze, yeah, okay. which is about the idea of learning music through movement and by movement.
0: Right. Okay. And so, like, when you're um, doing this kind of project, um, where do you start? Like, what's the beginning for you? Where do you get the um, the inspiration for the sort of movements that you do.
1: Well, this piece is actually quite interesting because there's kind of a programmatic story to this piece, um, mm-hmm. and I don't think Ezein meant there to be necessarily a programmatic <laughs> element to it. He, he definitely didn't refer to it in his writings, but it seems quite clear to me. So the first movement, I don't know what detail you want here, Carl. I'll
0: so, go for it, okay. absolutely.
1: So the first movement is called Obsession. Okay. And there's little excerpts of um quotations from Bach. Yeah. So for me it's very much about this kind of idea of being obsessed with something. So in this case it's the 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 person is um hearing this little snippets of, of Bach <laughs> in, in his head. And they're interspersed throughout the piece. So that one thing is definitely cool to start off with. But then you have the deus Erithine. And Isai weaves this into all the four movements. And and of course we I do you know this is uh, the symbol of death Yeah. through Western mm-hmm. classical music. Every composer has used this to represent death. And uh, so for me it's very much, you know, the protagonist is um, is obsessed. The second movement is melancholic, it's called melancholia. Uh-huh. Um that was the bleak, yeah. mournful one at the top of the mountain. Um, and then we hear the whole D0 theme in full, And that's really powerful actually. And then the third one is called Dance of Shadows.
0: Oh wow, that's a lovely yeah. image.
1: So I think I'm probably going to do that as some kind of a uh, dream sequence like be- between you know the afterlife and um, the journey. There's many ways I'm looking at this uh, this idea of, you know, our Inner monsters and you know, being overwhelmed by by this, or I'm not sure. Kind of maybe there's a, like a hundred different ways I'm of interpreting it. Yeah. I'm still kind of mulling through them, to be honest, Karen. You know, and um, and then the final movement is called the Furies. So the three Furies were the three women who used to drag people into hell. Right. And right. this is represented by three part court, three part chords all through the last movement, which is a difficult to play, but mm. it's um. It's quite
0: hair Yeah, so you're essentially playing a trio with yourself, is that right? <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's fun,
1: yeah.
0: That's quite something. That's lovely images to, like, be thinking about. And, like, we'll be thinking about them too now when you're playing it. Mm-hmm. We all can't wait for that. I'm looking forward to see- I'm hearing that immensely. And you're not, you're, that's not the only thing you're doing, which is special. You're also every year in charge of the children's concert as well.
1: Yeah, well, I like, I just curated it, really.
0: yeah. You curate it, yeah. but, like, that's, that's you know, <laughs> organising it, really. So, like, um... Is that going to happen this year, first of all?
1: Uh, yes, absolutely.
0: And then Zach question, how is it going to happen?
1: Uh, well, we've gone from all sorts of options and plans. And I think the one we've settled on at the moment mm-hmm. is, but things are changing all the time, as you know, over the last year, nothing stays the same. And um, at the moment, the plan is that the little groups that have been, so the idea of it is that this is chamber music for the next generation. Right, you know, yeah. And, um, and yourself, Carol, will be That's yes, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the idea is that little groups, instead of uh, coming up on the stage and playing for each other, they're actually going to come into the cathedral and perform, but it's going to be recorded. And then that little group then will leave the cathedral and then we clear out, and uh, leave the space mm-hmm. um, for ventilation. And then the next little group is going to come in and uh, their right, and okay. record that. And it's going to be take place over the course of the whole day and then uh, the editors then are going to put them all together and we're going to then stream it uh, during the slot for the children's competition. That on is Sunday, um, Sunday
0: the 6th at 3pm for anyone who wants to w- watch that. Um, it's really a lovely thing. I enjoy it every year. I enjoy playing it as well and I love watching it. Um, what do you like most about sort of running that? Like, what's
2: Oh,
1: oh it's great fun. It's really, really fun. You know, uh, it's not a competition. Yeah, and that first start brings a different element to it. So I think the, the the children that come out to perform actually are just coming to have a bit of fun and okay. enjoy themselves and it's a lovely opportunity for family and friends to actually hear not only what their own children have been working on with a little group but to hear other children as well mm-hmm. um, and that's always a lovely thing um, and also there's no restrictions on what anybody can do so it doesn't have to be a set piece or Anything like that, so it's it's a chance for I suppose teachers to just do something creative and fun, and mm-hmm. and it's nice for children to have something to look forward at
2: the end of the
0: term. Yeah, of course. Um, and so then apart from all of that, you're also playing um in two other pieces, um that is <laughs> the Mozart clarinet quintet, and you're also doing the Schubert octet. Yeah. Um, so if these two were now in front of you and you had to say which one you were most looking forward to, which one would it be? Oh.
1: Actually, I do
0: know. You I've played the
1: Superlatt quite a few times, mm-hmm. but I've only played the Mozart Clarinet Quintet once. And that was a very, very long time ago. Mm. So I think I'm most looking forward to that one. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Okay, well, we can't
0: wait to watch all of that um, with you involved. Um, thank you so, so much for sitting down and talking to me.
1: It's been a pleasure, Carl. Thank Absolutely.
0: You. Thank you very much. As I mentioned at the beginning of the interview there, it is, of course, a lovely thing to be able to sit down and sit with someone in person and talk to them. Um, it makes makes things so much easier. Um, it makes my job so much easier to be able to um, actually see their faces in real life. Um, but yeah, it's it was a pleasure to sit down with Diane, and I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Um, I will apologise here and now for the audio quality there. Um, I don't know exactly what happened there. I don't think my microphone enjoyed the room that we were in, it's very possible that was the case, but um, I hope you guys didn't mind that and I hope you guys can still hear it okay, because um, it was a lovely conversation and I really enjoyed it. Um, but now that we've talked about um, her doing the Izai, why not talk about the actual Izai piece of music, and that's what I'm going to do now. So here we go, I'm going to talk about Izai's Violin Sonata Number 2. I think it's safe to say that the name Eugene Izai is not really one that people have heard very much. Um, certainly in the classical music scene, um, while he might be quite well known among violinists, um, he is relatively un- unheard of um, in other circles. Um, he was Belgian, uh, this man. Um, he was a Belgian virtuoso violinist, composer and conductor. Um, and he was, he was called the Tsar of the Violin by violinist Nathan Milstein. Um, as opposed to The King of the Violin. He was called The King of the Violin, but he was relabeled Tsar of the Violin by this man, by Milstein. Um, And he wrote six solo violin sonatas, um, one of which we will be hearing in the festival. He was um, supposedly inspired um, to write these sonatas, um, having just witnessed a performance of Bach's six partitas for solo violin, um, the number six being very important there. Um, he saw a man named Joseph Zighetti, um perform Bach's um, partitas, all six of them, and uh, he was inspired. He really enjoyed the idea of writing for solo violin, him being a violinist himself and therefore knowing all the tricks of the trade. Um, and so in 1923, he penned um, six violin sonatas, um, and th- th- there it go again number six. The fact that Bach wrote six and the fact that Isaiah wrote six is quite important. Um, It links the two of them, and I think Izai meant for the link to be really quite prominent, Um, and we can come on to that a bit later. Um, His second violin sonata, um, his Opus 27, his 27th piece of music, is also entitled uh, Jacques Thibault, Um, and this is quite an interesting one because it was dedicated to this man, to Jacques Thibault, um, his second violin sonata. Um, But generally speaking, when you dedicate a piece of music, Um, to somebody. Um, It's not really the name of the sonata, it's more just uh, a name on the original manuscript um, for whom you wrote it for and they just tend to own it and that's as far as it goes, but in this case Isai actually wrote the name on the top of the music as part of the title of the violin sonata, the um, Jacques Thibaut um, and it's sometimes called the Thibaut Sonata. So why did he do that? Why did he write Jacques Thibaut as one of the many names of the sonata? Um, first things first, Thibaut was a very dear friend of Isai. Um, this is um, pretty easy to kind of estimate around, um, seeing as he um, stayed at the Isai household an awful lot. And there was also a point when his violin was being repaired, um, Isai lent him his own Stradivarius, um, so that he could play a concert, and Stradivarius, for those who aren't string players, they are, like, the best of the best. They're, like, the top-quality instruments, and for Isai to have trusted this man with a Stradivarius clearly meant that um they were very close. Isai himself was a mentor and a very close friend to Thibaut. Um, Other fun little facts about Thibaut, he wasn't that well-known um before the sonata, but he did also... Um, form a piano trio um, with cellist Pablo Casals, um, who most people would have heard of in the cello arena. Um, and he passed away in 1953 in a plane crash. Um, so that's that's Jacques Thibaut for you. Um, but why is he the name of the sonata? I believe it's because it's much more than just a dedication. I think Isai wrote the sonata, um, he tailored it, exactly for Thibault, as in it wasn't just written for Thibault because, you know, you can write music for anybody but, um, to be able, he, he wrote it with Thibaut in mind so much so that, like, all these little, um, inside jokes and little quotes and little, all these little things meant something to the two of them, um, in their conversations or in their daily lives and also, um, how he wrote it, as in the different techniques used are things that are very very much, um, very much unique to Thibault's playing style. Um, Thibault himself um, was known for his soft, delicate tone, um, which actually won him a competition in eighteen ninety three. Um, and so this is what uh, Isai had in mind, and therefore he wrote it with with that. And I think that's that's where it becomes more than a dedication; that it actually it is it's his sonata. It literally is what he should be, he be playing of all things. The sonata has four movements, as um, Diane already mentioned. Um, I'm just going to label them again. Um, The first movement is called Obsession, um, Prelude Poco Vivace. Then you have the second one, labelled Malinconia, um, Poco Lento. Then you have the third movement, Dance de Hombre, Sarabande Lento. And then the Le Furie, Allegro Furioso. And Bach himself, J.S. Bach, is unbelievably prominent throughout the piece of music, um, which is the festival theme. It's all about um, Bach and his influence on others, particularly Fanny and Felix Mendelssohn. But, um, I mean, other others were um, really quite influenced by Bach as well. And this is a great example. What I find quite funny about this, actually, and um, this is just a little side note, is that this piece um, was picked by Catherine Hunker, the artistic director, because um, Diane has done it before. She has performed it before. She's changed it up a little bit, but her original performance is what Catherine Hunker saw, and she asked Aya to do it, Um, and it was only then that they realised that Bach really does run throughout it, which is a wonderful coincidence, um, if I may say, Um, and it does fit with the festival theme and tone rather nicely, um, which I really like. Bach in this piece, um, I mean, yeah, you could say that Isai was very much um, influenced and inspired by Bach to write these sonatas, but in this particular one, um, he's not just an inspiration Bach, he's an obsession. And this is um, what Diane was mentioning earlier as well about how in the first movement, which is also entitled Obsession, in fact the whole sonata can sometimes be called the Obsession Sonata, um, but the first movement opens with a direct quote from the E Major Partita Number 3 by Bach. Um, yeah, I'm just going to play you the opening of the Bach um, for a little bit, and then I'm going to play the opening of the Here's the opening of the Bach E major partita number three. And straight away, back to back almost, I'm going to play the opening of the Isai Sonata, which you heard at the beginning of the episode, but here it is again. striking difference i think i mean in a way it's similar it does fling you into like a really quite fast-paced section but in another way it's like it's other worlds away i believe um strongly that had bach lived in the time of izai and he wrote a solo violin sonata i think it would have sounded similar um certainly not the same um but i think it would have sounded similar um because I don't know there's just something about the isai sonata um the first movement in particular, which is just it's so Bach I don't quite know how to explain it more um it's just it's very yeah you can just you can feel that Bach was definitely an inspiration um for sure an obsession um within the first movement in particular, another important theme that comes throughout the first movement along with the e major partita which crops up again and again and again. Um is the Dies Irae theme um and anyone who is um well versed on their requiem masses and their masses for the dead will know that the Dies Irae is a huge part of that it's a It's a plain chant form of song um which um comes at more at a time in um requiems and masses for the dead where it's really quite they can be quite frightening actually um famous ones um include the Mozart ones and the the verdi Dies Irae is also quite famous. Um, but it was originally just a theme, um, a couple of notes strung together, which formed the D.S. Irae theme. And all composers played on it um, when they wrote their requiems and their masses for the dead. And Isaiah, when he used the D.S. Irae, he, of course, um, changed it up a little bit for himself. Um, and it comes up again and again and again, along with the Bach music. I, I, this is quite a funny little anecdote. Um, but this is another point where you can kind of feel that um, Jacques Thibault, the person who he dedicated it to, really comes through and is really a strong part of the history of the piece. Um, and that is because of this direct quote from the E Major Partita. Um, it's thought or said um, from people close to him that Thibaut would play the opening to the E Major Partita when he warmed up. Um, and seeing as it's the very beginning of the piece, I just I think it's quite fun that you can almost imagine if he performed it that he would warm up on stage as he was already performing it um, and then you can get flung into the uh, the wild music that is Izai. Um, just a funny little anecdote. And I really, I enjoy these little things, these little pieces of information. So that's the first movement, Obsession. The second movement, Malinconia, is the one that Diane is going to be playing outside, or should I say had played, has played, um, outside. Um, for those of you who live in Killaloo, um, if you, um, at any one point, just look up... Um, away from the cathedral, and you'll see these massive, um, well, uh, <laughs> I call them mountains, but um, I'd say they're only hills to some people. Um, and um, Diane would have recorded them in the middle of that, like in, in the middle of absolutely nowhere in those hills. Um, but I have seen the location that she plays in, and it's it's absolutely gorgeous. And I think it fits the tone of the second movement excellently, um, I have to say. a really wonderful. Um, it's um, played with a mute. Throughout a mute, um, for those of you who don't know, is like, for string players, um, a mute would be like a little thing that goes on the end of the strings, and it just makes everything so much quieter and more ethereal. I think that's a good word for it. And this one really does would have used been used to showcase um, the soft delicate tone for which Thibault is so famous for. Um, then comes the third movement, the Danse des Ombres um not much to say about this movement except for the fact that the DS erie theme is back again um this time it's the theme and then there's six variations a theme and variations movement with the DS erie being the theme not the exact DS erie of course but it's the it's one that Izai played on once again so it's i don't know it's a variation with variations on that variation if you want to make things complicated and then we come to the fourth movement and the fourth movement is entitled less furies and um I have done a bit of research into these. The Furies um were three winged ladies who were snakes born from the blood of Uranus on their head. Um I'm just trying to imagine what that would look like. Um I don't <laughs> it's kinda of hard really, isn't it? They wore snakes on their heads, and these snakes were born from the blood of Uranus. So there you go. Um they were goddesses of vengeance, um, and their primary purpose was to hunt down criminals, striking them with awful punishments, um, for their wrongdoings, um, such as pain, madness, sacrifice, and family curses, even. Um, so th- that's, um, that's kind of the music, musical idea, and, um, I love, I really enjoyed how Diane put her interpretation of, um, of those movements, and I'm um, I'm also really looking forward to being able to hear it. Um, I think it goes without saying, of course, that while Bach is, indeed, the, um, sole reason for Bach, uh, for Isaiah having written this piece, it's 20th century, through and through. Um, no, I mean, yeah, the little bits of Bach are the only only real Baroque parts in it. Um, and it really is, it's a 20th century piece of music. Um, one other thing that I really, really enjoy about this, um, this piece is how the second movement in particular, it really does sound like two people, and sometimes three people, playing the piece of music. It's not... It doesn't sound like a solo violin sonata, it could be be a violin trio, it could be a violin duet, Um, but the way that Isai has written this, him knowing exactly how the violin worked and all, it just, it it makes it, it really does, it adds this beautiful idea that it's, um, that the violin is an everything instrument, and it's a very versatile instrument, which goes without saying, of course. so anyway, this is the Izai Violin Sonata, um, which I actually, I really enjoyed. This is one of my favourites so far, um, research-wise, and um, it's been really interesting to find out about this. And so we come to the end of another Killaloo Music Festival podcast episode. Um, first and foremost, I'd like to thank you all for listening. Um, second of all, um, a couple of really um, important things just to take into account. Um, first thing is the name of the website, um, which, as you all know by now, is www.kilulumusicfestival.com, where you'll find where you can get your tickets for the concerts, the live streams, um, where you can find the list of artists who are expected to come, where you can find the programme, and also now a link to this podcast, um, and it's been added to the, um, the website um, at this point. Don't also forget to check out um, the social media channels where updates will be posted um, every now and again regarding ticket sales and programs. Um, and this is Instagram, which is at Killaloo Music Festival, um, Twitter at Killaloo F and Facebook, Killaloo Chamber Music Festival, just search for that and you'll find it. Um, and finally, um, I'm delighted to announce that I have created a playlist, um, a Spotify playlist of all the pieces of music that will be performed in this year's festival, and if you go to the podcast description, wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find a link to the Spotify playlist there, um, and do press shuffle on it every now and again, I just, I think it's fascinating, and, and when I do press shuffle on this playlist, I, I, um, it just, it conveys such a, a ma- immense feeling of excitement, and there's so much wonderful music to be discovered there, um, including all my preferred recordings for all the different pieces, so go check that out. Um, And apart from that, I have nothing else really major to say. Um, Just thank you again to my um, wonderful interviewee, Diane Daly. Um, And we'll see you all again next week for another episode. Thank you all, and see you then.